I'm Chris Sims. And I'm Aaron Woodrick. And this is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. On today's show, we're going to take a deep dive into the dubious plans for a federal wealth tax and how that's likely to backfire spectacularly. Spoiler alert, there's not enough rich people to carry all of Canada. And in Waste Watch, we'll talk about the wacky plan the City of Montreal has to spend piles of taxpayer money to create more snow. But first, we've talked a lot about the insane expense accounts that retired governors general get. And we've got a really hot petition going calling on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to scrap that policy. But last week, there was actually a new poll that came out that showed just how uncool Canadians are with those expensive perks. We've got our federal director, Aaron Woodrick, here today. He's going to talk about the poll and whether it might at long last lead to some change. Woody, what have you got for us? Well, thanks, Chris. You know, as you mentioned, we launched this petition uh, a while ago, years ago, calling Justin Trudeau to scrap the the crazy expense policy. I mean, it is just, there's nothing else like it. It's 200 grand per year per former governor general for life, no transparency. In fact, it's, it's even crazier. We discovered recently that the policy goes beyond death. So the estate of former governors general can actually claim expenses, office expenses for up to six months after the passing of a retired governor general. Anyway, given what has happened with uh, the most recent uh, occupier of that office, Julie Payette, it seems that this has really ticked off a lot of Canadians. And Global News recently did a survey uh, out in the field to find out how Canadians felt about these uh, ex-governor's general perks, things like their pension and their expense account. You know, I still have a hard time believing that this is even a real policy, these expense policies, and that someone like Payette, who had to resign in disgrace after that big investigation that alleges that she ruled the roost over a toxic workplace, can actually get these kind of perks. So this poll in particular, I'm guessing Canadians are not cool with the perks. Yeah, not cool would be putting it lightly. In fact, to quote the pollster who conducted the poll, Daryl Bricker, who's the CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, he said, quote, it's not often we ask a question in which we get 80% of the population agreeing to something. <laughs> and, you know, he also said that at that level, you're really talking about uh, a really across the bar nonpartisan unanimity. Um, and that 80%, uh, what do they agree on? Well, is that pay it should actually lose her pension. Um, And almost as many Canadians agree that neither Payette or any other former governor general should get an expense account. So 72% of Canadians agreed with the statement um, that they shouldn't get any. In fact, there's only 6% of Canadians who strongly agree that it's appropriate for taxpayers to be footing the bills of former governors general in their retirement. 6%. I didn't know we had that many former governors generals and their (laughs) best friends to to answer the survey. I also saw that Bricker was pointing out that once you get up into this territory, the 72 to 80% range, you're basically talking about a totally nonpartisan across the board agreement. It's pretty remarkable. I don't think you could get Canadians to agree on pizza toppings, but they all seem certain that Payette should definitely lose her pension. Speaking of which, since supporters sometimes ask us this, why aren't we calling on her to lose her pension? That's a great question. And the short answer is it's a lot more complicated to get rid of. Um, You know, we think that should be on the longer term to-do list, but the expense account is, uh, it's actually uh, just a policy or a regulation. The cabinet decides on it. 
Um, in fact, I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast, it was Pierre Trudeau's cabinet that introduced the policy. So we've come full circle now, uh, you know, with his son uh, being pressured to get rid of it. You know, so the, the, the takeaway is Trudeau and his cabinet could change it tomorrow if they wanted at the stroke of a pen. Um, so we're targeting the most expensive thing that's also the simplest thing to eliminate. So there, there's no excuses for, for Trudeau or anyone to drag your feet. It's actually pretty shocking when you think about it that they haven't dealt with this considering these polling numbers. This policy, as you said, has been around since 1979. That's uh, almost as old as I am. There have been multiple unflattering news stories about it over the last 10 years. You think this would be low-hanging fruit. Why haven't they got rid of this? Yeah, and you know... You'd think so, but they seem to be holding their cards really close to their chests, even though, uh, you know, as things like this poll show, it's it's not as if scrapping it wouldn't be popular. Now, as far as the petition goes that we launched, how is it doing? I'm guessing it's doing pretty well. Yeah, really well. In fact, we just a couple of weeks ago, we hit a huge milestone. We got 100,000 signatures on it already. <laughs> That's amazing. Just goes to show you that this is something Canadians care a lot about, even though the story itself hasn't really been getting that much attention in the news. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch the petition really keep rolling, even without a lot of attention in the media. I, I haven't checked the numbers this week, but I'm, I'm confident we're well past 100,000 now, uh, which reminds me, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't signed it, you should. Uh, you can find it on our website at taxpayer.com. And if you have signed it, thank you very much. Please share it with a friend. And so I'm guessing we're going to be delivering this thing soon. Are you going to put on your mucklucks and head outside? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Canadians need to have their voices heard. And, you know, physically delivering these petitions can be a, a powerful symbol, sort of an exclamation mark of sorts to really drive the point home with the Trudeau government. Uh, and look, it's a rare slam dunk since there's basically nobody on the other side of this issue, unless maybe you can count some former governor's general. Uh, so hopefully, you know, he'll do the right thing and get rid of it. This is Deep Dive, the part of the show where we take a closer look into the important issues of the day. I'm your host, Franco Terrazano, and today I'll be talking to our Ontario director, Jasmine Moulton, about the federal government's rhetoric about making the rich pay for the recovery and the possibility of a wealth tax in Canada. Now, the Liberals have said that they won't be raising taxes to pay for all this, but the NDP are calling on them to make the rich pay. And the spring budget is coming up right around the corner. So Jasmine, what do you think this all means? And should our listeners be worried about a potential wealth tax coming from Ottawa? All right. Well, anytime that the government is spiraling deep into debt and they say they're not going to raise your taxes, yes, you should absolutely be worried because that is the inevitable outcome when they can't cover their own bills is our taxes are going to go up. But Franco, it's interesting when you talk about they have this rhetoric about making the rich pay for the recovery because there might be some of our listeners who say, great, that gets me off the hook. Awesome. Let's do it. But we crunch the numbers here at the Taxpayers Federation and a wealth tax, as they're currently talking about, would only cover three days of Justin Trudeau's spending. Three days of covering the prime minister's spending. Now that's some context. And just to give our listeners a little bit of extra context, total federal program spending for the 2019 year was a little over $360 billion. Now in 2020, that number jumped to a little over $640 billion. So that means that the 2020 deficit alone is bigger than the entire budget last year. Now, the way the NDP are talking about a wealth tax makes it sound like it's some type of silver bullet solution that would solve all of Canada's government budget challenges. But you're saying it might only cover three days of Trudeau's spending. 
So what do you mean by might? Yeah, you're right, Franco. So the Parliamentary Budget Office said that maybe a wealth tax would have brought in $5.6 billion this year. But there's an important caveat because they also said in the report, and I quote, a behavioral response could be expected and therefore its projections are, quote, highly uncertain. So Franco, it might have brought in $5.6 billion this year. Maybe it wouldn't have worked at all. We have no idea. Yeah, sounds like a whole lot of mites here. Uh, but Jasmine, you know, you, you've done a ton of homework on this and you just released an ebook called Why a Wealth Tax Will Hurt Canadians that makes the case against a wealth tax in Canada. So I do want to hear your arguments, but first, uh, could you just briefly explain what a wealth tax would look like just so we're all on the same page here? Sure. So we're all familiar with income taxes, which you have money coming in, usually on a paycheck, and the government takes a chunk of the money that you have coming in. But a wealth tax is really different in that it would tax your net worth above a certain threshold. So for example, if the threshold was set at $1 million and your net worth, it turned out, was $1.5 million, then they would tax the $500,000 difference at a certain percent. And your net worth can be comprised of anything from your real estate holdings to financial assets or even businesses that you own. So the NDP, when they suggested a wealth tax, suggested setting the threshold initially at 20 million bucks, which might have some of our listeners a little more relaxed thinking, okay, this might not apply to me. But there are a lot of groups in Canada that have called for a much lower threshold. And if we look at the Green Party in New Zealand, for example, they suggested a threshold set at a million dollars. So there's no certainty where the threshold would be set. And a million dollars, if you think about it in the Canadian context, the average single detached home in Toronto sells for 1.5 million. So you'd have a lot of people affected by a wealth tax that you might not think. In fact, even farmers, they would be a huge target for the wealth tax because Franco, when you think of all the capital that they have tied up in, you know, land that they farm or equipment or quota for their livestock, uh, even though they might feel cash poor, uh, they really would most likely be hit by a wealth tax. If farmers might be getting hit with the wealth tax, then everybody who eats food in Canada will be sharing in those higher costs. And if we say that everyone who eats food in Canada may be facing higher costs, then it really is everyone in Canada might be facing higher costs from a wealth tax. But you know, I think there's a distinction here because people think that farmers aren't billionaires, they think it's pretty different. I mean, I know I think of farmers and billionaires differently. So what would you say to people who argue that the government should be taking more wealth from the wealthy? Well, Franco, I think that fundamentally they would misunderstand how wealth works. It's not like they've got big heaps of you know, cash. Uh, it's really tied up oftentimes in equity in businesses. And again, I worry that what a wealth tax would essentially be allowing the government to do is take a chunk year over year out of those businesses. Not only would this disincentivize entrepreneurialism in Canada, but Franco, I think it would also really hinder economic growth when you're taking money out of businesses and putting it into the government's hands instead. 
Yeah, and, and that's such an important part here, especially with the context of what Canada is currently facing, right? The last thing that we want to be doing right now is discouraging entrepreneurs and small, and small businesses and businesses um, and hindering economic growth. That is the last possible thing that we should be doing here in Canada. Now, that's a key problem, but I, but I know there's a lot of other key problems with a wealth tax. And in your report, you also mention administrative complexity would be an issue. So what do you mean by that? All right, Franco, brace yourself. But there's already 40,000 bureaucrats working at the Canada Revenue Agency, CRA, that cost taxpayers over $4.3 billion a year. This is the stuff nightmares are made of, really. <laughs> but um, taxing wealth, which is what a wealth tax would do, is so much more complex than the relatively simple task of taxing income, which is what the current you know, the CRA is currently doing. So we would essentially take an already very bloated government agency. When you compare it to the size of the, it's U S counterparts, for example, it's very bloated. We'd be asking them to do something way more complex. They'd have to step into the business of business valuation. Now, I say that this is really complex. There are so many different methods to value a business. Um, you know, all you have to do is watch that show Dragon's Den to see how many different numbers can be thrown across the street and screen in the course of five minutes. So I don't think that we really want to ask the CRA, which is already complicated and struggling enough to get into this business of business valuation, which is so complex. It would just add to the cost and the number of bureaucrats that we would need working. And this is exactly what would happen. They would say, okay, we think that your business is worth this much. The business owner will argue that it's worth less um, because, again, there's so much complexity in valuing businesses. And then when they have to fight that out in court, it's going to be taxpayers footing the legal bills for all of this. So it's just going to be so, so expensive. Well, I mean, this really sounds like the, a bureaucrat's dream. But I really don't know too many taxpayers who'd be laying awake at night hoping that we could be paying more taxes to cover higher costs for our tax collectors over at the CRA. Well, your report, uh, I mean, it also mentions another problem, and that's that a lot of countries have tried wealth taxes but abandoned them. So what are the reasons why these other countries said goodbye to their wealth taxes? And I think that that's really the strongest argument against one is that countries have tried this and gotten rid of the wealth tax because it just doesn't work. 12 European countries had wealth taxes back in the 90s, only three still do today. And the reason they got rid of them is due to higher than expected administrative costs, lower than expected revenues. But here's the real kicker, rich people all left their countries. So there's this report out from the New World Wealth Forum Consulting Group, and they estimate that 42,000 millionaires left France when it had its wealth tax. So that should terrify everyone, Franco, because in Canada, I took a quick look just at uh, income earners, and the top 10% of income er earners in Canada pay the lion's share of income tax in Canada. The top 10% of earners pay 54% of income taxes in Canada. So if you're going to come up with government policies that punish them and, and target them and they end up leaving, that means that now the rest of us have to pick up a bigger tax burden. 
Yeah, and, and I don't think that's a situation that we want here in Canada. Uh, but, you know, really this wealth tax really sounds like it's plagued with so many problems that it wouldn't be worth the uncertain chance that it might cover three days of Trudeau spending. But I know critics are going to be asking us, well, okay, if not a wealth tax, then what? So, Jasmine, if not a wealth tax, then what? Well, Franco, I think of a wealth tax kind of like a diet pill. So the government's looking for a quick fix. It, it has this problem. It's looking for a quick fix and an easy solution. But the problem is it could have some really nasty side effects. The real solution here is that the government needs to put in the hard work of making some tough decisions to cut back its spending. So politicians like to pretend that saving money has to be really painful, like through cuts to healthcare. But why not start instead by trimming back bloated bureaucracies, for example, or bringing government employee back in line with reality? That would save billions in Ontario where I live. Or we could look at ending corporate welfare, for example. Governments handed out half a billion to the Ford Motor Company, which is 12th on the Fortune 500 list, uh, while taxpayers were losing their jobs. So there are a lot of ways governments could save money. And Franco, that's what they need to be doing instead of looking for ways to tax us more. Well, Jasmine, thanks so much for coming on the show and, and really sounding the alarm about a potential wealth tax in Canada. Now we're going to link in the show notes to your ebook so our listeners can dive even further into all that good info. This is Waste Watch. It's the part of the show where we talk about the stupid, stupid things governments are doing with your money. This way, uh, sit back and relax. Get yourself some hot chocolate. Put on, you know, some cozy slippers because this is a very winter story. It's a bit of an update. We're telling you the next step on a story we broke earlier. Renault, our Quebec director, what in the world do you guys have going on there now? Well, thanks, Todd. Uh, do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about how Montreal was blowing money on some snow making equipment? Yeah, not snow removal equipment, <laughs> snow making equipment. I feel like we got to be like real clear about that right from the start. Okay, I remember they spent a bunch of money on, uh, on making snow in Montreal. What's the next step here? Well, we just heard back from City Hall, and you won't believe just how expensive that thing ended up being. To make some snow, once again, not to remove it, but to make it, the city spent a whopping 63000 bucks on snowmaking equipment for four of its parks. $63,000 to make snow in a few parks in Montreal. It's crazy. And it's not like Montreal has a trouble with snow they've got lots of <laughs> snow in montreal so this is like vancouver paying to have more rain or here in moose jaw us paying for more wind we got lots we don't gotta pay for more what is going on here this is crazy i mean crazy doesn't even begin to cut it like it's it's just absolutely ludicrous and at the time some staffer from the mayor's office was kind of pissed that we were calling them out on this and said that uh, this whole thing, spending money on making snow, was necessary because of climate change. As if we'd solved the issue by forking over tens of thousands of dollars to make artificial snow every winter. But notwithstanding all of that, it's not like Montreal's, Montreal's winters were going away anytime soon. We checked the weather data, and it's been relatively consistent for the last couple of years. On average, Montreal gets a full two meters of snow every winter. Even in bad year, we still get a meter and a half. It's not like we're... Yeah. 
it's not like we don't have yeah, enough right. snow <laughs> right like it's not like it's a listen uh notwithstanding climate change and all that things uh, changing you're still getting four five six feet of snow like this isn't going away tomorrow like don't sell your <laughs> snowblower tomorrow it's still snowing in montreal from time to time and the crazy thing is here so it doesn't cost a dime when the snow comes out of the sky that part's free and it seems like you've got a lot of that free snow falling all over montreal pretty well all winter long am i wrong about this oh you're not wrong actually not only is it not free we have so much of it that we have to pay money to get rid of it every year montreal budget about budgets about 150 million bucks on snow removal well in the last three years, it busted that budget for two of them. And on the other one, it was pretty sure it was going to bust a budget, but ended up being like a couple of pennies under it. So it's not like Montreal really needs more snow. We've got plenty of it. If there's no snow in city parks, the only thing that the bureaucrats over at the Parks and Recs Department have to do is to sit on their asses and wait a couple more days for Mother Nature to take care of the issue for us. There's no need to spend a single penny on this. You know, I think there might be a forgotten hero in this story, honestly. Like, who's the salesperson who sold this to the city? Like, if you can <laughs> sell snow to Montreal, you're a pretty good salesperson. Like, that guy, that guy should have got a bonus. But on the other side of it, I don't know whether this is fair or not. You know, folks at home, you can debate this. But sometimes... The good folks over at the city in the parks and rec department, sometimes we make fun of them for not doing much. You know, <laughs> like it's not like they're out there like you don't walk through the park and see them sweating super hard, breaking up leaves or something. Like usually it's kind of a uh, relaxed pace. Is that fair? I think that's fair to oh, say definitely. that usually you see city parks and rec employees working at a relaxed pace. I mean, they there's don't, a whole show awesome. about this. There's a whole show about this <laughs> called Parks and Recs. That's exactly yeah. what it is. <laughs> They're not going. I don't see a lot of them uh, with strained uh, muscles often. <laughs> um, so usually we make fun of them for not working fast enough. But in this case, they could have used that superpower of procrastination. Just sit around, do nothing. Wait for nature to take care of it for you. But what happened in this case? What happened? What would have happened if they did nothing? Well, here's what would have happened. So the city took out the snowmaking equipment on December 29th uh, because, you know, there was a need to get more snow in the parks. Within 72 hours, Montreal would get 20 centimeters of snowfall. So, yeah, they could just have waited a little bit more and the, the, the whole problem would have solved itself for free. But here's the kicker. You know that $63,000 bill? That's not for the entire city. That's for just one of Montreal's boroughs. Montreal has 19 boroughs. And some of them have already started sending us more receipts for snowmaking equipment. So it seems like this, this is only the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> tip of the iceberg i see what you're doing there you're staying with that that icy snowy <laughs> motif very well coordinated there renault well first of all thanks a lot for looking into this uh story thanks for staying with it though it's really easy to break something uh and point it out and then forget about it you're staying on top of it that's good stuff if people want to learn more about this we've got a link in the show notes check it out 
Well, that's it. That's the show. Uh, but for something special, before you go, uh, we actually have a couple of uh, love notes that we've seen from <laughs> folks who aren't really big fans of ours on social media. Uh, Woody's here with me. Uh, Woody, do you have a good one? I do. I have one from Twitter uh, where when I had actually tweeted out that that very poll that we were talking about today uh, about the governor general, um, a fellow named Rebel on Twitter uh, tweeted, quote, effing Trudeau got me agreeing with the insane Canadian Taxpayers Federation. So obviously that guy's a big fan of our organization, but just goes to show you that, uh, uh, you know, Mr. Trudeau's position, he's unifying people, Chris. He's unifying people who hate the CTF and the CTF with his dumb policy of not getting rid of this governor general expense account. I love it when that happens. I think Naomi Klein agreed with you once too. Yes. And she said end times, I believe, <laughs> which is true. So. Fabulous. Well, I've got this one person uh, on Twitter. So I did this quick stand-up video in front of a bunch of pickup trucks complaining about how expensive the carbon tax is, because, especially because it's so cold out right now. We need to use for example, oil and gas to get around and not freeze to death. So I did a quick stand up in front of a bunch of trucks. And so this person was not happy with me and said on Twitter, Karen is wearing a thousand dollar outfit and doesn't understand who the carbon tax affects the most. Plus, she doesn't care about her great grandbabies. Hashtag climate action. The reason why this one's super funny is one, I don't have a thousand dollar outfit anywhere in my house. And two, the toque I'm wearing in that video is literally from the dollar store. So thank you so much, Twitter. <laughs> Fashion icon, Chris Sim. I really am. Uh, thanks so much for listening to the show. Uh, be sure to uh, share it with your friends. Yep. And thanks to Jimbo, as always, our in-house journalist, James Wood, for helping get this podcast rolling. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.